E-F-R. BostonFreeRadio.com to interview with one of my close friends, a brother, Will Gordon, and yeah, and I can't believe to be having him here. In fact, we just rushed to the main mixer as soon as we could. So, Will, what brings you here? What brings you to Massachusetts? What brings you, I guess, home amongst your many homes? But ultimately, I'm glad to see you. How have you been? Uh, I'm great. And um, first, I'll start off with a correction. It's Will Gordon Pineda. I'm here just finishing a post doing a summer enrichment program for students uh, at Yale University. But for my listeners, what I would like them to know, what guiding questions I would like for you to answer is what was your background and how did that inform who you are now? Um, Yeah. So um, I'll start with a recent thing. And then I'll then I'll go back into the past. Um, I will say that, like as an artist, I feel like I'm um, an emerging artist all over again because I've taken such of a hiatus um, to really focusing on my artistry uh, in any form. Actually, um, I've been an educator for about 13 years now, in many different forms, and the last like four or five years, I've just done that. Um, I put like all of my time and attention into education and, and my students and, and all of those things. So I feel like now that I'm in a space where I'm hungry to produce, I'm hungry to um, create and um, starving, you know, for that kind of process. Um, I feel like I'm just starting over, you know, even though I have a lot of hours and a lot of time, time in the game. Um, so with that, um, my creative um, moniker is Xavier Flame, and um, that came out of um, an old time period of, of um, being on the spiritual path, which I'm still on, um, and numerology and, you know, some other things that came from that um, when I was a more online, present person, facing person. Um, but my history as an artist um, started with my first career of, of singing um, gospel music. Um, I grew up born and mostly raised in Nashville, Tennessee. And so that was an incredible upbringing, incredible experience of like music and art and um, TV and a lot of other things that I got to do as a child. Um, but I grew up in the church, um, PK all day. Um, and singing gospel and like doing that professionally like as a child was like pretty awesome and a really great experience that transferred into um, as I got older um, doing choral music and um, I wasn't the greatest person um, for you know art like playing instruments and so I put even more effort (laughs) and my lack of gift in that area to my voice Um, and so choral music was a place where I got to really spread my wings um, with all the things that I could do with my voice Um, I remember purposefully you know in high school like making people upset you know singing all four parts of SATB choral music um you know especially in moments where you know other folks were you know struggling with some of the music like I mean naive jerk move but you know the sopranos couldn't you know get this line right I would just like hum it just uh you know just off and you know my teacher would be like yeah that's the note (laughs) you know (laughs) um so um so that was a thing and then uh, also in high school i started a band back in the days of myspace um and it was very much 
you know, bluesy, um, R&B soul kind of alternative in that, um, late nineties, early two thousands of like, um, you know, Jeff Buckley, right. He, he blew up like after he died. Right. Um, and like Jamie Cullum and when John Mayer first came out and, you know, Jason Mraz and all those guys, um, really evoking that like bluesy jazz pop thing. Um, and so that was a great moment of just being downtown Nashville on Friday nights with my, you know, friends from high school playing on the street corners and then taking out our money and going to the hookah bar. Right. Nice. So <laughs> I love, I miss, I, I miss busking. That's something I used to do. I miss busking. I love, I love the whole being on the street, playing musical instrument, yeah. singing a song, and then realizing that your take on it was worth somebody's dollar. Dollar, yeah, yeah. And 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 if you know, you get enough people to, you know, give into you as a patron, as a drive-by patron or a pedestrian by patron. I I love that. That was a great experience. And for that to kind of be like my formative years as like a young person, as like a young artist, um, as a person who grew up not knowing that like the vibrancy of Nashville as like a art city wasn't the norm. Uh, I think I was pretty shocked once I finally like left home that like everything wasn't like, like Nashville. Um, so that was a great upbringing and a great experience. You know, I did a lot of traveling, did a lot of other stuff. Um, one of the things I kind of fell into um, in my teenage years was musical theater as well. Um, I think it was really interesting for me kind of having those spaces um, because, you know, figuring out like my queerness and, and, you know, all of those other things and growing up in a church like that, uh, musical theater was a space where I could do that performative thing. Um, and it allowed me a space to really just push my boundaries as like, um, as a performative person, as a performative entity, um, outside of the social sphere, where I could do those, create these like, and spoon spill, um, spool this like, tale of magic, and and cool things, um, and it not be a reflection of of self. So that was a moment. Um, fast forward a little bit to like, I be got into writing in college a little bit more, um, songwriting, um, short films, things like that. Um, and kind of slowly but surely left music into the more um, literary spaces. Um, did a lot of like slam poetry and spoken word in college. Um, was pretty pretty successful in that. Um, but I think once I left college and started getting into the real world, like just pushed more and more to teaching and education. Um, so yeah, like now I'm at a place. You know, I hit thirty and I'm like, ah. Mm-hmm. Let's let's try this artist thing again. So, I really like that. Uh, do you find education to be refining to an artist's craft? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it transfers quite a bit with the kind of like the planning and the and the studying and working on your craft and you have to have you know a, a lot of drive and a lot of perseverance um and you know when stuff falls apart you know you gotta dust off get up try it again tomorrow um and i think having that practice of like an everyday thing um and i think good teachers you know have um, selective amnesia, right? They remember things that went amazing and forget the things that went terribly. And so um, being a good, a good educator means that you have that selective amnesia. And so I think that's the same for um, being an artist as well. It's like, enjoy those moments where the connect happens. Um, and in those moments of where you know it all falls apart but like don't let that consume uh the process and the forward forward motion um of your artistry right um time is a gift um something you don't get back um but every day is a new opportunity to to make the spark happen what could be the first thing that somebody should do if they want to take on a creative project I feel that you're someone I would actually like to take creative advice from. 
and if you had to start a creative project, how would you get started? And if you had to get started, what is a, you know, something that you need to do to get to begin that first step? So, what are the bullet points leading to that first step? Leading to that first step. So, I, my personal belief is that people. Lots of people have great ideas um, in the creative realm, and just because of like time and life and um, survival, right? We don't get to be artists. Um, I think one of the first and foremost and kind of um, baseline expressions of humanity is art, right? Um, at the core, we're all artists of some sort, and I think one of the things that's really important to me in practice now is when I have those moments of inspiration um, or have these like great ideas, uh, I write them down. I take notes. Um, I think in the age of technology now, like you don't have to have a little black book anymore. It's uh, something as simple as like a notepad or a voice note or anything. And that's what I do if it's a story um, if it's uh, an idea for a short film, um, if it's song lyrics, if it's anything, um, I just create that practice of always taking a moment to, to write it down. And I do something similar where I just do as many outlines as possible. Just so it's, I like to word vomit on a page and then mm -hmm. see if there's any outline or structure. Is there any rising action? Is there any character? Is there anything that I've written down that is compelling enough to then put into a narrative? Or is this an idea for something else? And it's a lot of fun being able to see something grow yeah. or to see something stay put and then see it used maybe even years later. And I think that that's something that's fascinating where something relevant to you at a specific point in time has resonance years later, maybe adjoining something differently or perhaps informing something else. I don't know if you've ever had that where you see an idea get appreciated in a way, you know, in, in, in a dual way. You appreciate it later because it's something old that's now relevant again, but also seeing it grow into something else. Have you ever had an idea that was something completely different? Absolutely. I mean, I think that that is the manifestation of the idea that art imitates life and life imitates art, right? If you create something in a very particular time and space in your life and it either doesn't evoke the same memories or feelings or something else entirely if it doesn't do those things then it's i don't know i feel like the art's in inauthentic it's not real um i think as a as a songwriter whenever i'm kind of having writer's block or not being able to like effectively communicate a feeling or a sensation uh, that I'm trying to do in my music. I have this old um, MacBook Pro. I think it's a 2007 or 2008 version. Uh, it was the last like black MacBook. Oh, okay. um, if that can <laughs> time me. Yeah, uh, yeah in a, in def definitely dates it. Yeah. If it dates me, yeah. Um, and somehow, miraculously, it still works. And it has a lot of my old like lyrics um, from college when I was more heavily into music, and luckily, like I always in those moments of kind of writer's block, I like crank it up and get the old MacBook out, and usually I always find something of just things that I wrote um, stanzas or things that I wrote, you know, ten. 12 years ago, you know, and it means something completely different and it feels like it's a puzzle piece that I needed in that moment. So I, I, I know something similar where I, I haven't had it as a puzzle piece to solve something. What I've appreciated is seeing a work in place and seeing where I've grown from it or seeing in very naked stylized terms something that <laughs> reveals something about me yeah <laughs> a yeah. certain alliteration a certain device repetitive and you're like wow i really really thought this was the way to go i yeah, thought that, tragic yeah, yeah i thought that this was the way i was gonna <laughs> make the next american novel was you know you know references to other works devices gimmick that i thought would really emphasize some underlying theme 
but then I purposely would grow enough from it where I'm like, well, this is nothing will help this work, at least not on its own. <laughs> it needs, you know, if it does get incorporated into something, it's going to be incorporated into something with so much structure that it will be just a passing fancy, yeah. a passing fancy in terms of any sort of creative work. And then in effect, it will be made valuable because it's incorporated <laughs> into something that's structured, that is uh, well thought out, and then has enough of of a resonance, enough of just being able to stand on its own merit as a story, as a narrative or anything to then say like, okay, like there was a purpose behind it, not just like something thrown away or needed to be thrown into something that I find to be very uh, unfinished because I have a lot of unfinished work, which I love. Mm -hmm. I love tapping into it. I love checking in with old me and thinking like, "Mm, no, but I love, Eventually, I, I fascinate by the idea of bringing some of my old rogues gallery yeah. into I'm, like a, a work that is actually fleshed out, polished, yeah. and clean. Absolutely. I mean, I think that a lot of artists um, are hypercritical, right, of themselves and their work. Uh, and a lot of times, like you know, you can look at that old stuff and be like, "I was such an idiot," <laughs> um, or like, "What was I thinking? I thought this was gonna get on the radio," you know. Um, but you do have those beautiful moments where things like, you know, um, exist outside of the, the the linear space of like time, right? That are timeless, to, so to speak. Um, I think that one of my passion projects for the fall is going back and actually transferring those things before that MacBook dies nice. um, into my new stuff. But so I can actually sit through and sit through those feelings and that experience and that that aspect of my life or that part of my life um, and kind of keep it for later. I mean, I think one of the most inspirational things that let me know that I even my younger, more naive, more hopeful, more um, just unknowing and experienced part of myself is still valuable. Um, with a lesson I learned from Solange, actually, um, with her last album that came out was phenomenal, right? Everybody was talking about a seat at the table. Uh, it was a huge album. Um, that was incredibly refreshing and surprising and anything else. And one of the the bigger tracks on the album was uh, Cranes in the Sky. And, and she wrote that one like years ago. Um, and it didn't fit on any one of her earlier albums. And so like somehow or another, it came back into the, um, the conversation and it was like it fit perfectly for what it was in that time, in that moment. Um, and I think that that is inspirational for artists who have trajectories to like you can always go back and revisit and even though you completed something and it didn't fit then doesn't mean that it's you know a throwaway it could be something you wrote you wrote that's it's just not here yet and that's okay i completely agree i i want to I, I have hope for my 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 drafts, like my old, <laughs> you know, paperback drafts of like science fiction stories and meta horror fiction that incorporates my own hometown and stuff like it. I, I know that there will be some way, some use for it. I just can't wait to see what will reactivate these themes. What will reactivate these things? Where the little youthful. I mean, where, 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 where my youthful vision wanted me to go mm-hmm. to fully realize that as an adult I, I, I'm confident it will come I just can't wait to see what will unfold and make it so in terms of artistry and in craft I'm trying to just, I'm trying to do my best to figure out how best as an artist to really bring whether they be my listeners my readers mm-hmm. uh, audience members depending on the craft that I'm employing because growing up I've done I think the first time I ever did like a stand-up attempt was at eighth grade, and I had just moved into the school district, so that was literally my I. The first time I wanted them to meet me, I wanted them to know that I failed at stand-up comedy, <laughs> and then I would, depending on what the medium is, I want people who are looking looking at me attempt a craft when I was that young, but now. I'm, I'm more in tune with creating videos and doing podcasts and what if any 
what if any reasons are there to tell an artist how to create their world? Because I think that when you invite certain artists have different worlds that they get brought into. In some ways, it's escapism. Mm -hmm. You have the silos of their albums. You have many albums taking in like a visual component to inform the listeners of the music that this is also a world that they belong to. For those coming up, artists, the come up artists, is there any, do you have any advice for those who are looking to foster a sense of belonging, a world, a silo, a universe for their fans? And is there any, is that in itself like in some form of creative unpaid labor that goes into not only making the listener have interest in you, but knowing that once you're in, you're stuck and there's a whole, mm -hmm. you know, there's this like exponential return that comes with being invested in an artist because it's not just you're getting the track, you're getting the things that inform that track, you're getting the history that goes into that track, the references, the themes, the cultural significance that informs that track, the references, inspiration. There's so many things that underlie an investment in an artist. Mm -hmm. What I want to know again, if any, is there any advice that you can give to a new artist about that? How to create a world that can invite people in? Yeah, um, a couple things. Uh, I think I'll start with the idea that just be prepared and know that like real inspiration is all consuming. Um, like literally tunnel vision, you know, focused, sometimes forgetting to eat or, or pushing through sleep sometimes when inspiration hits, it's, it's like having a, a very spiritual kind of connection, at least for me. Right. Yeah. Um, and it makes me always think about this, um, <laughs> probably one of my favorite parts of, uh, um, a cheesy movie that I adore, um, Sister Act 2. And oh, love me some sister act too. <laughs> and you know, in in clear you know whoopee fashion, you know they're on the street corner um, outside of the school, and you know talking about um, you know being a singer or being an artist, you know. And she's like, "Baby, when you wake up in the morning, and the first thing that comes to your mind, you know, is being a singer. And that's the first thing you think about when you wake up, and the last thing you think about when you go to sleep." And baby, you're a singer, you know? Um, and I think that that is true, like, passion and inspiration, like, in practice, like, in, in manifestation, right? And so, um, with that said, if you want to, you know, be able to produce and create in the fullness of your art, you have to give yourself time, right? You actually have to commit time. Um, I think that if it comes to any rules, um, I say some artists are the ones that will get lost and three hours later will will have a product. Other people have processes that are tried and true. And if they keep like step out of those processes, then they like literally have to start over, right? They can't create outside of that like fixed process. Um, I think coming from something that is um, extrinsic, though, is like, don't believe the hype. Don't believe that there's a rule book. Don't believe any of those things. Like, you create the world that you want and that you imagine and you wish for yourself. Um, that is the, you know, the the secret code to all of those things. I think that a lot of the art that we grew up kind of experiencing and feeling and the playbook at which people think that like, if you want to be an artist or be successful, you have to do X, Y, and Z. And I think so much of the art that's coming out right now is proving that wrong because those, those parameters, those institutions, those, those processes like don't fit. They don't, they don't, they're not great anymore. You know, you think about all the art that's coming out with like, you know, all the thing that um, Childish Gambino has been doing and Issa Rae and, um, you know, all those things that are coming up, like they didn't do it, you know, the traditional way. And so much has, you know, come from that particular type of art. So like, there are no rules. Create the world that you want to create. And if people connect to that, 
like it will get there like it will get out um and i also think that if if we follow the 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 blueprint that wasn't made for a lot of us artists then like think about all the stories that we missed from generations past and even today because folks didn't have access to that route or they didn't have the networking and the connections um and you know stories are getting browner and blacker and queerer and all of these things because we're breaking down those those structures and so like don't feed into that create your own world and and put it out there and i love that because i think that as these creative universes are basically being fully owned by their creators mm -hmm. like Issa Rae and uh, Donald Glover especially in his case where he had a he was working on an NBC show but yet he felt the need to create his own separate entity that he could foster creative his creative energies into mm -hmm. while he was working on a comedy show though very well acclaimed for those who don't know the show was community he in despite the fact that he enjoyed the work he did feel he did feel that even though it was pushing the boundaries it was formulaic mm -hmm. that he needed to do something that transcended form that allowed for him to experiment come you know childish gambino provides not only a hip-hop element to his creative endeavors but it allowed him to go into high def video mm -hmm. to record a lot of um these really cryptic videos and movies that he wanted to invite his listeners into saying like if you've Follow Childish Gambino. There's this whole other world. This album is actually a story. There's a screenplay. And what I love is that now, as you stated earlier, you can really do a lot just on your own, and it's yours. And before you would, as you know, when it came to these institutions, these models, they usually were used as like a deterrent for entry. Absolutely. And now the barriers of entry is just, I don't know. It's it's a lot more affordable that it it's a lot more affordable to distribute your own content as quickly as possible to mo to many people as you can than it used to. When before you yeah. there was uh, you only had like a specific platform, you had a specific channel, you had a specific outlet. There were you know they they really did try to push out and only would curate a lot of artistic mm -hmm. artists and musicians and any sort of artistic selection. But now we're overwhelmed by it all. So yeah. it's as though we're 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 uh, and and not always as ourselves. Sometimes we're it's our it, it's our pixelated version. It's our <coughs> avatar. It's it's there's yeah. we are in many ways simulating that distribution. And I love I love it. And it's different because when I was growing up, I thought that I would have to sell my art differently. But I sell myself differently. Exactly. Yeah. But now it's it's really we, we we have like a ride or die mentality now when it comes to the way artists engage with their mm -hmm. with their uh, communities. I mean, I love that, and that's and you know, I mean, my advice is to never stop pushing, like keep pushing, you know, keep knocking those walls down. I mean, I think that like even when you think about you know Hollywood or like the the infrastructure right of, of the art world, is that people are still pushing those same old tired you know myths that have been proven to be untrue time and time again you know like even probably the best example is like just what's been on the media like the last few days about uh vogue and beyonce right um for you know beyonce talking about her experience when she first came in the game you know 20 years ago it's like oh you know you won't get you won't get covers because black, you know, covers won't sell, um, which has been proven untrue time and time and again. Black Panther, right? Mm -hmm. uh, black movies don't sell, like, you know, um, or, you know, Girls Trip a couple summers ago, right? Black yeah. movies don't sell, you know, all, all of those other things to the point where, you know, the youngest per photographer for Vogue is, is now a, a, a black man and, you know, the first person to have creative control outside of someone who's on staff at Vogue is Beyonce, right? Um, pushing those barriers and like all those other things where like it's proven wrong time and time again, but those myths and, you know, those, those things still exist. And so even 
even if there's like a myriad of of self-created art and people that are like becoming entrepreneurs, like putting their things out there and it's being widely accepted, like don't stop pushing. Like, you know, this is only the beginning. Every artist is plugging their work in a way that is akin to like back then you yeah. you you would be on a street corner selling cds but mm-hmm. now it's online yeah. you would be i don't know how artists used to you know pitch their work back in the day i don't know how shakespeare or any of these other writers <laughs> got that i don't know how chaucer would push his his lit but i think now we really do have this you know if you want to write if you want to tell a story if you want to make music if you just want to record your voice mm-hmm. there there are so many inexpensive ways to do it and there's so much as you stated time to really learn what you need to learn all all of this is now readily available regarding beyonce like i think that what makes her unique is she early on created her own path mm-hmm. and now it's now appreciating greatly to the point where now she can what was she like a a guest executive editor of this uh Mm -hmm. issue of vogue i think that's amazing just because i don't think i can ever hear i can ever think of an artist do that but her happened period her following is her following her merit her executive functioning is so high that i can definitely see that happen Mm -hmm. do you see that happening with other artists down the line um you know i mean i think that people love to say you know we'll see what the numbers look like right Mm. um but i think that i mean beyonce is just a special entity you know she's in so many ways like the unicorn right and i'm like i mean i growing up like in the um the prime of like the 90s right like beyonce destiny's child like huge fan like i was never have been a part of the beehive i just want to make that clear <laughs> but um, I mean, um, that's fine i i don't know how many of our listeners are members of, of the of, of the beehive um, but i I'm, I'm confident they won't be buzzing around here yeah so um i mean and even myself like as a as a um, as an artist like as a as a um, as a consumer of art like beyonce hasn't always been you know um a clear shot for me you know i haven't always been a fan like i fell in and out of love um you know and it wasn't until maybe about four years ago with um um you know beyonce Uh that i was just like whoa this is what i've been missing you know and everybody has their own connection the artist i mean i think as a person like she's incredible she's always been incredible musically like we fell out of touch um but great respect in the things that she's been able to, you know, kind of amass. I look at like on the run, you know, the tour right now. And it's like, you know, she's married to one of the greatest in the game uh-huh. and people go to see her. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, he's not the draw of that concert. You know, she is. Um, and I think that's just a testament to the work that she's put in. Like she is a hardworking woman like incredible the amount of like you know worth ethic and um stamina that she has amazing um things that you haven't seen but in a long time i mean you think about people like you think about the janets and the michaels and the the tina turners and like you know all those folks who were just like so incredibly in tune and you know just almost like obsessed with their craft um in a way that like it would exude from them you know on stage and like there's nobody out there that's doing it like that um right now but her and the only ways in which that artists are able to kind of elevate above the game is in entrepreneurship right you know Jay's been a businessman forever, right? Um, wasn't as flashy as, say, like a Diddy, mm-hmm. 
right? Because Diddy wanted you to know everything, right? You know, you had Sean John, you had, you know, the, the shiny suits and, you know, all those other things. Making the band and everything. Um, you know, and then, you, you know, you had all those folks, folks, you know, like Fat Farm and, you know, all those other things. And But I think Jay went purposely, like, in a different route, you know, um, more of an investments and, and like, teams and, and the more as much as pushing into like the business realm right mm -hmm. i think that um allowed him to to make a lot of back you know back not back room but like you know off the grid kind of kind of moves as like mm -hmm. a person and entity and i think that like no one questions his heartness because i think that if you go above the game in that sense then like entrepreneurship and like economics is is the the ceiling right exactly um or is the rooftop rather mm -hmm. but i think that the trajectory that he took pushed him into that area and i think it's only refined by mm -hmm. his you know relationship I so agree. i don't i wouldn't give her the credit but i think the refinedness mm -hmm. of it is is definitely an influence mm -hmm. there i always like to think of some sort of alternate revision some revision like what if yeah what if jay never went with beyonce what if beyonce actually married kanye or something oh like that. God, no. I know, I know. I naturally these scenarios would never unfold. <laughs> but but when I think about these things, I'm thinking like what what would Jay have I mean, you're right, Jay was a, a very he was a businessman, refined in his own right, as he saw his investments appreciate, as he saw his um his vision of himself, his vision of his enterprises grow, as well as his uh, eye and ear for uh, quality in terms of any product he puts mm -hmm. out. I feel what makes Beyonce and Jay-Z stand out, their will is so strong. There shouldn't be a, a single bird or stone that you do not know of if you're writing a story or something yeah. of that nature. They employ something similar where there's when it comes to jay-z their name or when it comes to beyonce the name it's not their name anymore it's like a enterprise that encompasses so much mm -hmm. lights sound you know etc and it and, and it and it goes beyond that. it's supposed to convey something that is lasting but brief in its in its uh window to experience and i think that's what makes it worthwhile like when you see jay-z on tour or you see beyonce on tour for artists who are coming up and aspire to get stadium status, mm -hmm. but you know it's very hard to aim for stadium status. When I think that just like anything else, you need to give stadium status to the few listeners and subscribers and people who support you as you can, because then I feel like, as you stated earlier, focusing on the craft, then it will come to you. Mm -hmm. it may not be stadium status, but if you can fill out a cafe for a reading or your music that's a solid start there's some money you get the word out and ultimately with time comes a catalog that one could be proud of a catalog of any sort of art of any sort of work and as long as it's consistent and if you can support yourself from that because it's not just you know it's become so disrupted now you could literally have artists to purchase to to buyer buyer to artists direct mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's not a lot of these unnecessary costs that go into maintaining agents, that goes into maintaining representation, although those could be helpful because there is still yeah. like an old world. But if, if you could, as an artist, just support yourself by directly appealing to the people you're trying to sell to, it, it's, it's game over for a lot of these preconceived institutions that mm -hmm. are predicated on you need our guidance and we need a cut in order to really mm -hmm. develop this. But if you're developing your own relationships, if you can engage on any sort of platform with those interested in your art, and if you are maintaining your artistry in engaging and in outreaching, as well as doing the back end in the business, I think that it's in itself, you know, it may be lonely, but it's so rewarding. And I, and, yeah. I, and I think that that's something that even Jay-Z and Beyonce, they're like, I don't think they would have ever known like early on crazy in love that they would get this high that this this level but they knew in the back of their mind that they were going to aim for it and now you know you don't necessarily know what's ahead of you 
but upon getting there in reflection you know not to you know even in ape shit they're like i can't believe we made it <laughs> but ultimately all of us we can't believe we make anything once no. we're finished with it even if you have like one supporter the mm -hmm. fact that you have one supporter is enough to get you started. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as an as an as an artist now, I mean, you look at the 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 game is changing slowly but surely. I mean, you think about all the hip hop artists right now that are um, selling records and and doing tours and and making lots of money um, by choosing purposely to like not go the the uh, contract route. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you have so many success stories out right now that are just like getting it done and like doing a crazy, crazy, amazing things with that. Um, I think my push, you know, I mean, personally, as an artist, like I don't have to do the stadiums. Yeah. You I mean, I think I think when I was younger. Right. Uh, the stadiums was was the only pinnacle of success. Right. Like if you sell out, you know, um, MSG, then like you made it. You know, and you don't make it until you sell out, you know, MSG. And so that was the marker. But I mean, I think now that like, if I can tour, if I can sing, if I can, you know, do all those things, if I can create, you know, my films and, and do all of that, um, I think the, the benchmark is changing. And I think for me as an artist, like, if I can, if I have reach, um, if I touch hearts, if I save lives, um, and if I create access, that those are my measures of success. Nice. Um, and I think that it's just kind of a new version of, of artistry that's happening right now, right? I, I, and, I, and it's awesome. I think that before you had success kind of encumber the growth of a lot of artists because it's tied to a certain scale. Mm -hmm. I think that right now, as you stated, you don't want stadium status. I don't even want stadium status. I, I want to mm -hmm. find the way where I can provide as much content to those who are going to support my artistry to the point where I can afford myself, tour, meet these, meet those supporters who support my artistry, mm -hmm. maintain just a living. Yeah, I mean, even, it's a ministry. Yeah, even if I'm, if I'm able to regularly create content, figure out ways where I can pre-record and coordinate and distribute while I'm away, in addition to regular vacations as I would based on what is most important to me, if I can customize my artistry to the point where they get the most content as much as possible, but I can maintain a you know a standard of living which prioritizes like say my mental health or my ability to rest my family and stuff mm -hmm. that's far more as you stated a far more preferable benchmark than binding my artistry to a certain scale which is gambling in some ways because it's not it, it's diving in without having developed a sense of a following to sustain this artistry and i think that right now our scale is tied to our ability to stay consistent and I think that's in itself a far better benchmark than finding our scale to like a single release of a, you know, a, a, whether it be a movie or an album. I think it's far better for artists now to really plan out and, and, and chart and, and map out a whole host of different things that can really allow them the exposure to allow them to sustain themselves. And it's exciting. Well, another, now that we've delved deep into the heart of artistry, let's get a little ignorant here. In terms of, in terms of, in terms of just the world, in terms of politics, in terms of just stuff we've seen in the news, is there anything you'd go. like to chime in? Here we go. I mean, I know that when it comes to politics, whenever somebody asks me, it's like, so like, do you want to talk politics? I'm like, yeah, I do. And then I'll just delve into something that's specifically hip hop or something. <laughs> Because I, I see that as far more crucial to my politics. Now, I know that not a lot of us are a fan of The Breakfast Club. Myself, I, I can't help but watch it, but I know, that's I know that I'm contributing to the tooth decay of people in, in watching that. You know, you know being, being a host of a, of, a, of a cyberspace and hip-hop podcast, I really do go all over the places. I'm not the biggest fan of Joe Budden, for instance, but I, but I watch his podcast. I, I watch, I consume as much as I can, you know, albeit um, imperfect communicators that reside there. In terms, of, in terms of what we have right now, 
the growth of hip hop media is exciting to me. Okay. It, it's exciting for the very reasons that it's exciting for artists to have their artistry. It's because I think that you can allow those who were most crucial and pertinent to its development basically maintain the rewards that go into its formation as opposed to again binding it to something of scale and prepackaged that gets disseminated to many different people who mm-hmm. get paid by that but you know with someone like say like joe budden or you know he has a you know him and rory they produce something and it's out and it goes directly right back into reinforcing the support in the production or it goes to them and i think that's a far preferable model again for the rise of hip-hop media do you see any sort of increase in more inclusive hip-hop media do you see more younger uh hip-hop um personalities come out do you see more uh you know female hip-hop personalities coming out utilizing this this um this platform yeah i mean i think that um this is kind of a very very complex conversation to have right and i think there's a lot of things at play um i mean i am one of those like 90s nostalgic you know pot you know people and i think that the way that what we're shifting back to um through a different process but the same kind of product is that 90s um like multicultural overload Mm. that the 90s kind of like represent it it's like you know we we think about you know with the 2000s and and the 2010s like you know we we were we fell back into that representation conversation yeah like the you know the um you know the stereotypical character or the token this or the token that um and i'm like i grew up in the 90s and i was just like there was fresh prince there was um family matters there was you know rock there was 227 there was you know and i'm going generationally like Mm -hmm. there's so many things that the you know the you know that's so raven and yeah. um you know all of these different things that were Angle out there mr cooper Angle, mr cooper like a skeeter yes all of those things um and then you had like taina and you oh, know just taina. a whole bunch of other stuff yeah. like um you know margaret cho margaret cho had like the first sitcom for asian americans like in, you know in the 90s and it short-lived but like it was a thing yeah. right and we didn't have another one till like fresh off the boat, fresh or, off the boat yeah. yeah um and so i mean i think that like the 90s was this like crazy crazy explosion of like multiculturalism and i understand the the i the ideology around multiculturalism is is you know can be problem, problematic at times but i think that like that was my childhood and that was like my growing into adolescence and so to to be a young adult and to like revert in artistry back to the tokenism of everything um i think was pretty crazy and and i think now what's happening is because um, there are a lot more alternate paths that I think a lot we're kind of circling back to that, but from the outside coming in. Um, and I think that that's a great thing. And I think that we should kind of keep pushing in that directive um, in that in that direction. And so my hope is that I'm seeing it. I mean, I think about, say, for instance. Um, like um like bt you know for instance when you know the hip-hop movement i mean i remember growing up you know with like 106 and park and like the basement and you know big tigga and you know all of those other things that were just kind of more of you know the gateways where um if you weren't like a part of a particular geographic you know region where regional artists were you know kind of underground and you knew about those folks um that that was kind of a space for like those regional players to get mm-hmm. national like exposure you know um i mean because i think that like you know i knew about luda and you know all those folks and a lot of other folks that came out of the south like way before you know they blew up on the national on the national scale because that's just kind of how you know hip hop like you know southern you know southern hip-hop is different from like you know florida hip-hop and it's different from you know new york hip-hop and it's different from like houston and you know all those all those different players um all those different spaces produce a lot of 
especially in the early 2000s, like a lot of different types of rap mm-hmm. or hip hop. Um, and the exposure was just very, very different. Um, and so, you know, being able to uh, be down in the basement, you know, and getting to hear about all these folks kind of coming out of the woodworks was just like awesome. Um, and kind of like a, a huge space for that. So I think that, but BET isn't BET anymore, you know what I mean? Um, and so I think that because we don't have those structures are falling away, like people are kind of coming from the outside back in with all of these alternative paths. And it's a beautiful thing to see um, because of like, you know, the age of technology that we live in is that that access, you know, it's just kind of um, accessible, but frayed. And so it's about, uh, I think I'm really a person that pushed for collectives and I feel like collectives are the way that the few people that we've been able to see, you know, come out like the the Donalds and the Issa Rays, like they always have entourages, like they always have a group, right? Because I, I don't think you can be successful in this space without, you know, having people on your team, like having that collective identity, um, people to push you and also, you know, keep you, keep you straight. Um, and so like, you know, I'm, I'm, a part of a new collective, you know, myself. And I think that that's like an extraordinary, um, you know, thing that I'm embarking on. Uh, and it's really elevating, you know, my passion, my, my excitement, my, um, hungriness about, you know, producing art again. And so I think that, um, to not oversaturate the market with all of these, you know, minor, you know, access points. I think the people that are able to, to, to reach the masses are the ones that are kind of having their little collective silos, you know, and kind of going from there. So I think that as, you know, more female MCs are coming out as more like queer MCs are coming out. Um, you know, back in Minneapolis, I have, um, chaos, um, who's a dope, you know, gay rapper, um, in the Twin Cities. Um, but that's like the Midwest, you know, and you have like, you know, Cakes the Killer and like other people that are, you know, growing their national acclaim, but you know, everybody's just kind of siloed. So it's just, I'm really pushing for collectives because I feel like that's the way, you know, and if you think about old school hip hop, you know, Junior Mafia, you know, you had all the players mm-hmm. in Junior Mafia, you had the Terror Squad, you know, you had all Terror of these Squad. Murder Inc. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't I don't think the whole collective um the idea of the collective has is a new thing. I just think that like it's been a vehicle that's been used, you know, here and there for things. And I think that going back to the collective is gonna be the thing that really elevates the game again. And I think and I know that um what makes collectives fascinating is they usually have like a mission that's utilized through different means. So mm-hmm. you, it's like a mixed media collective and it's all inform they all inform each other. They all have like a world that's within the collective, but then you have universes apart, mm-hmm. which I love. I know that for our program we, we like to view ourselves as like an online um radio program we focus on segments on cyberspace which means that you know obscure internet media so Mm -hmm. you know the way i pitch myself to a lot of people is like we explore the internet so you don't have to and what i love about (laughs) what i love about collect is that they, they are growing they are growing as a means to really facilitate your artistic vision independently but knowing that like in collaborating you're allowing for this coalesce, you know, like a coalesce of different skill sets that can allow each of you to shine brighter. And I love that. I would love to join a collective, but I wouldn't know how I would benefit anybody's <laughs> artistic mission. Uh, and I don't know, maybe drums. I'll play drums or something on a live set. <laughs> Yo, I mean, I love my collective and, yeah. you know, I mean, a little bit of a shameless plug, but yeah, no, you know, please plug, just, it, plug um, it all. You know, I just joined this collective, um, you know, under the, the moniker of Aries Firebomb and um, it's an incredible, um, you know, POC queer leaning um, collective of folks that are, you know, all across the arts. Um, there's some extension into, um, you know, um, finance and community work um, and it's just 
you know, the mixed media thing that we're all kind of coming into is, you know, myself as like a musician and writer, um, and then just a developer, you know, in a general sense. And you have, you know, I have other artists, um, you know, other writers and producers and photographers and models and designers. And, and we just all, you know, are, you know, a group of colleagues, a group of friends who are just kind of getting together and like realizing that, um, you know, putting out art both as like a labor of love and then um, something to um, a product to offer is is hard. Um, but like also that you know we've been hyping up each other in our respective you know um, arenas for for a while now, and it was just a moment where you know right time, right place, um, you know right scenario. We were just like we can just do this a lot more efficiently um into a greater scale if we just join forces and so um you know having an opportunity to um you know have a lot more people of color a lot of black women um spaces and content for them um you know, a lot more opportunities to tell queer stories, uh, a lot more opportunities to build um, community um, for black, you know, queer POC um, with, you know, businesses and mentorship and all of these other things, like really um, a passion project um, that's all encompassing, you know, for, for the community. And I think us coming together to do that is, is incredible. I mean, as a, as a college student, um, you know, coming into my writing, one of the things that was most fascinating was, um, the idea of the collective in the form of, um, the Niggerati. And they were a group of like writers and an artist in the Harlem Renaissance that was like Zora Neale Hurston and Langston Hughes, you know, and a lot of other big players from the Harlem Renaissance. Like they lived in a brownstone, they threw parties, they wrote together, they collaborated, they created, um, and produced a lot of, you know, the seminal works of the Harlem Renaissance. And it's like, learning about that in college and kind of doing that. I was like, I've, I've always wanted that. And, you know, so now like the stars have aligned and, you know, I'm with an incredible group of people and, you know, that's what we're trying to do. So I'm really excited, you know, to embark on, you know, what, um, Aries Ferrari bomb is becoming. So, yeah. I, I love the reason why I love that is because I think that artists sooner than not are going to realize that they need each other. Mm-hmm. Whether it, it doesn't matter the medium, there's always you're always better when you're around those who are doing the very thing you're trying to achieve, which Absolutely. is to create and to distribute. And I like that you have this value-added coalition building, business mm -hmm. development. You know, yep. bring into you know making this all-encompassing, inclusive collective for the purpose of getting it out there. And I love mm -hmm. that. And I agree. Like I, most of the most satisfying friendships collaborations came from a long sustained period of collaborative of effort collaborative efforts whether it be to work on a video whether to even music just having that avenue having that ability to chime in and to continue working on a project and getting it out there and as you stated creating this ecosystem of support mm -hmm. that can really get it out there that elevates the entire thing i mean I think that, you know, funny enough, you know, in hip hop, Odd Future is a collective. Yeah. Donald Glover is 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 in his own collective in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And you have a lot and as you stated, it's not old. Like you you know, oh. people have been crewing up just for art, just for anything yeah. since since the longest I can remember. And it's for that very purpose, is to sustain each other yeah. for the purpose of sustaining that creative outlet. Yeah. And I think outside of like music, you know, one of the biggest examples that I remember, like, you know, in hindsight was, um, Adam Sandler. Mm -hmm. I mean, like the boy had the collective and he had it on lock. I mm -hmm. mean, if you look at like, you know, him and Rob Schneider and like, you know, all those other folks, like exactly. literally they were all in each other's movies. Exactly. Like they were all doing these things together. And it's just like, you know, um, you know, you kind of got in the habit of just like seeing all these people and like they were collaborative. I mean, some of it is like, you know, you get on, I put my boys on, but like at the same time, like, um, 
you know, that's the true spirit of, you know, the, of the collective. It's like, you're all coming together to create this thing. And it's like, you know, no matter what the direction or, you know, what the iteration is, it's that, you know, that, that it, it's, um, you know, it's, it's producing and it's, it's putting out there, it's, it's creating, you know, together, um, and pushing those things out that way, you know, um, I think my earlier experiences, you know, kind of exclusively to, to hip hop and music, but like that was an example that was making a lot of people a lot of money and like weren't really paying attention to, right? And it, it can exist outside of, I think it can be applicable to any art form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just about using it. It looks like we're uh, reaching our time, but is, is there any way we could reach you? Any way my listeners can reach you, whether it be the collective, whether it be your work, where can, if any of our listeners were to fallen in love with you, where can they send their support? Where can they send their uh, their kind words to you? Yeah, absolutely. So my email is um, Xavier. So X A V I E R at AriesFirebomb.com. Um, so again, that's Xavier at AriesFirebomb.com. This episode was recorded at Boston Free Radio at the Somerville Media Center at Union Square. If you'd like to hear the hip-hop music that we're playing on our program, tune in on Boston Free Radio Saturdays from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. You can listen to the music live on Boston Free Radio. If you are unable to do so, don't fret. We have our Spotify playlist shown early on our Patreon. Patreon.com slash GS Hamlin for your Guaucast needs. Come on in and check out our Patreon.